Welcome to the People Impact Podcast, because people matter. We used to be HR Matters, and now we're taking a wider view. This is for you if you're interested in expanding your perspective on people in your organization and on yourself as a human being. We explore ideas about impacting and improving the way people lead and work together in organizations today. This is for all of you out there who are open to new views, new visions, and new dreams. Featuring Lisa Dempsey. Hello. And myself, Marjolein Vlug. And an amazing guest we have today. I'm really excited about this conversation. Meg Matier, welcome to our podcast. Thank you guys so much. It's really great to be here. Happy to have you. Would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, so professionally, I work as an organizational psychologist. And the focus of my work is really about helping organizations and individuals tap into their own resilience in order to cultivate social impact, both within organizations and out in the world. And so, you know, what that essentially means is um, I have a background in psychology and and studied a a bit of psychology in my undergraduate degree. And then I dove into the world of management consulting and had a really crazy couple of years, about seven years in working from big multinational companies. And then, um, you know, I thought it's really important to, what I noticed was it's so essential to bring some of what I was learning in my psychology studies into the workplace. And so for the last four or five years, I've been um, working independently, both with individuals and with organizations to do that, you know, really at the intersection of strategy and emotional intelligence. So working both with groups and individuals on that level. Excellent. Yeah. And and you've had a really, really helpful and useful insight around resilience. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. You know, I think especially as, as all of you guys can imagine, um, the pandemic has really brought resilience to the forefront. Um, Resilience is something that's being mentioned all over the place in social media, also sort of in the executive space. Lots of organizations are also wondering, okay, how do we manage this resilience? How do we bounce back from difficult times? Mm -hmm. Um, We did did an earlier podcast episode about it too. Hopped right on that trend. (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It is, it's important. Yeah, Yeah. of course, this is what's going on in the world. Um, But what I noticed was that, you know, a lot of, uh, there was a tendency to to have a misconception around resilience, Mm -hmm. that resilience was this, this way of being in the world where you had to sort of push through what was difficult or um, ignore difficult or challenging emotions or just get over it. I mean, I even remember before the resilience talk, um, you know, in the management consulting world, it was very much about, you know, if someone asks you to leap, you, you know, ask how high and you really push yourself sort of beyond your limits in order to grow. Mm -hmm. But what I noticed was that, you know, it, it really, um, it actually creates a counter effect for people because what happens is when we start to shove 
our emotions under or ignore difficult feelings or maybe even ignore something that's happening happening more broadly on a systemic level uh, like conflict or tension within an organization when we try and jump over those things they actually end up wreaking havoc on on us so um, the perspective that I bring to resilience is really about first going to that curious place of listening, you know, listening to ourselves, listening to our bodies, listening to our emotional systems, really being curious about, you know, where is this tension and, you know, what is causing that tension to happen? Um, Mm -hmm. My perspective is really that like when we go through difficult life events, our we as human beings are so intelligent and we have so many signals of wisdom that are trying to come through that, you know, come through our system to show us something. And so when we can tap into those signals, we actually can transform in ways that are, you know, radically different than, you know, where we ever could have imagined. And, um, and I think that happens both on an an individual level, but it also happens on a systemic level or an organizational level. Wow. Yeah. So the impact goes both ways on, on yourself as an individual and on your environment, your your organization, the systems that you that you work in. Yeah. I have this really, you know, I um when I work with individuals, I, you know, I, I work um I really try and help them understand their their self as a system. So mm-hmm. oftentimes we think about, you know, personality being, you know, fixed or we identify with certain qualities of ourselves, but it's really amazing to help people start to understand the complexity and sort of the system that lies within them. And what's so cool about that is that once they start to understand themselves as a system, they can also see more clearly what's going on in broader systems like organizations or even the world. So for example, you know, if you have someone who's working as a change leader that really wants to make organizational change and they start to notice that there's tension, that they feel anxiety or stress or something going on for them. Oftentimes what I'll do is I'll, I'll ask them, you know, Okay, so so what are the different parts of you that are coming up in this tension? Tension usually means that there's some sort of friction between different parts. So maybe there's a part of them that says, yeah, I want to make this change. I want to, for example, um, you know, do an ambitious uh, project to really make a big social impact or I want to impact the climate or um, I want to shift how this team or this organization works. But then usually there's also a part of them that's like, I'm scared as hell and Ah. I don't know, (laughs) I don't know what to do. I don't want to do this. Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe (laughs) what are the risks, right? Am I going to get kicked out? Like, you know what I mean? So once they start to understand, ah, okay, so there's these parts within me that are complex and sometimes contradictory. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if they can have start to have compassion for those different parts, both the ambitious part that wants to create the change mm-hmm. and the part that's terrified or uh, reluctant or resistant, even maybe even angry that they have to do this change project, mm-hmm. those things, right? Yeah. Then yeah. they they can become compassionate also when they see that 
within the broader system. So for example, you guys know working also in transformation, both individual and organizational that, um, you know, in change processes, we often come up against resistance and it can feel like a battle, right? Um, the people or the, the teams that want to keep the status quo, if you will. And so it can become this fight. But what I've noticed is that, um, yeah, when, when individuals can start to become compassionate with the parts of themselves that are resistant, they actually can connect to the resistance even better, can empathize. And that's where the magic happens, actually. That's where the transformation actually comes into play because now the person who's resisting also hears that you're listening to them, Mm. that you're not just ignoring their side of the story or their perspective or what they need to bring into the space. Finally feel heard. And that even works the same within an individual, you know, within you, you have these voices that go, as soon as they know they're heard, it has an impact on them. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to put them in the driver's seat, but right. Yeah. There's something there that needs to be heard too. Yeah, indeed. I think that's such such a great point. And I think, um, yeah, on that note, you know, part of the work that I do is going in a safe way, in a curious way to those parts or spaces that are not so comfortable to be heard, or maybe Mm -hmm. they're a little bit scary to acknowledge. And like you said, Mario Lane, you know, a lot of times those voices or parts or aspects of a situation first and foremost just want to be expressed they want to be let out and it's incredible to see how how much that can shift a conversation Mm -hmm. or a situation yeah yeah just giving them that air to breathe suddenly changes the entire energy of that no matter how dreadful the feeling may be letting it out will automatically shift it, make it different. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think that's a really magical intersection that you seem to be working in is the, you know, the resilience, taking the idea of resilience out of this, you know, toxic positivity, right? This just push through, stiff upper, upper lip, make it happen. Barreling through. <laughs> yeah. I keep making a lot of sounds today. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. That's, that's all the parts, right? Yeah. yeah. No verbal expression. <laughs> but then also, you know, so, so taking away the toxic positivity, you know, eliminating that. It isn't just about persevering. And then really highlighting the value that really lives in this stuff that, especially in work environments, I think people... Not only do they work hard to try to keep them below the surface, but they think they have to, right? They think that nothing else is acceptable. And there's something so wonderful that happens when, when those spaces can open up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 So well said. I mean, and I think this came up for me because of my own, my own struggle with this tension within myself. I I like to describe myself as like a glass half full person. So I have this element of, you know, whatever comes your way, you know, just you'll figure it out. You'll push through, you'll like, you know, get through something, but um, broadly, as you're saying this, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
So I very much have that as like a dominant voice in me is like, Mm -hmm. you know, well, it's not that bad. And, you know, you know, don't don't spend too much time sulking and things like this. And I think this is also part of the culture that we grow up in. Right. Like, is this going to say it's a huge part of most cultural narratives? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. And so when, when we're immersed in that cultural narrative, especially, so I'm originally from Philadelphia in the States and being sort of an East coaster that spent the early part of my career in Boston, uh, lots of intellectuals, lots of people who are go-getters, you know, I did have that experience of being the goldfish, not necessarily knowing the water that I was swimming in, but I was immersed in this environment of, you know, everybody's pushing harder, working longer hours. And in some way, I sort of, I started to equate my own value with how much I could push myself. Right. I started to think, you know, I I started in some way to even be proud of how much I could uh, be resilient against in that, in that um, old definition, how much I could push through or jump over. Um, And what was interesting was at the time, you know, I had just, so I had just gotten my MBA. I started working um, for a large multinational financial consulting organization. Um, And these organizations for better or worse, throw you really into, into the pit, right? Like, yeah, Within within the first two years of my career, I was managing a team of five people. I was like the primary client contact. Like this is was amazing, super rich experience that I had at such an early stage of my career. At the same time, um, there was this culture of, you know, uh, especially with consulting, that sort of work is the ultimate priority. Mm. And sort of over any social things that you had going on, any other priorities, any other hobbies, relationships, et cetera. And it wasn't something necessarily explicitly said, but it was something implied. And it played out in sort of the behaviors of what was going on in the organization where, um, you know, like I couldn't sign up necessarily for like a dance class or to learn a sport because I didn't know whether I would be working until nine or 10 on a particular evening. And it was just sort of understood like, Hey, you can have a life outside of this, but when push comes to shove, you've got to, you know, got to show up. Yeah. Work um, has got to be the priority. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And in consulting, there's the additional pressure of, oh, and by the way, your billable hours, you know, you, you've yeah. <laughs> right, we're, exactly. we're measuring it as well. It's not just the idea, but we're going to measure it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, what percent capacity are you at right now? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But it was interesting because at the time, so I, I was in the first couple of years of my career and thrown into the fire. And at the same time, I had a couple of really significant uh, family challenges that were happening for me. Um, so my family's in Philadelphia, I'm here working in Boston and I had so many difficult emotions, grief, confusion. I thought, you know, at one moment I thought, well, I'm just going to quit because, you know, my dad was, got pretty sick and I wanted to support him. And I just had this, this feeling of like, how is it that I could be going through so much emotionally and at the same time 
like really have no, have no time to process this, but also like, I didn't know how to bring the grieving part or the scared part of myself into the workplace because it, I didn't really have any role models to show me how to do that. So, um, and it didn't get to have priority because work was the number one priority at all times. Yeah, yeah exactly. Implicitly, and that makes it even implicitly, harder to spot. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so I'm curious I was, about the words, you know, the words. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you even had the words, never mind the space or the time, but were there the mm-hmm. words available? Because again, when the cultural narrative is, no, no, we don't go to these places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good, it's a really good, point you know because I um I didn't even know maybe I had the words but I certainly didn't feel like I had permission to Mm. bring this up as a priority or I was I was terrified you know I was at the beginning of my career I hadn't like proven myself yet yeah you just mentioned role models if you don't see anyone or hear anybody else talk about this stuff then how are you going to start that conversation Right, exactly. From the place where you were. Exactly, yeah. In the organization, but also, you know, the the brain space that you had available to actually start that. I mean, that's a project. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. (laughs) That you need to have time and energy for. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you're you're having a hard time. That's so much more difficult than when you're thinking, okay, I'm chipper, I can do this, let's make a change here, let's do something different. Right, right. Yeah. And I think what happened for me, actually, in some ways was that my system learned that there actually wasn't enough space to process any of those emotions. Mm -hmm. So I had this experience a little bit where I was like, I have all of these things going on in, in my family life and in my personal life. And yet I can't cry. Like what I had no access to my emotions. I was in some ways a little bit dissociated in that sense. And I look back on that time and I really, you know, I really actually value my system for having that ability to sort of know the situation and know that it wasn't necessarily safe to be in that emotional state and sort of close up for a bit. But I would say that, you know, I would say for the last like four or five years, I've been learning to sort of reconnect to that emotional space and, You know, earlier in my life, I definitely had access to a lot of emotions and really powerful emotions, both sort of bright joy, creativity, excitement, um, but also the darkness, you know, Um, and and that was something that was really interesting because um, I, I, I started noticing in the organizational space, okay, so where where are some of these really important stories that, that shape us as human beings? Where is there space for them? Um, so one of the experiences that was really, really powerful for me was, um, as a teenager, I experienced depression. I had a diagnosis of depression Mm -hmm. and, and this experience, I have to say is probably still to this day, one of the most challenging experiences that I've gone through in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of those paradigm shifting experiences. And at the same time, it was, it was slash is one of the most foundational experiences that shaped me as a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I, you know, then 10 years later was working at this company and having a similar experience of, oh no, here's some darkness or some difficult emotions coming up. I've seen this before. Oh no, we're going there again. Yeah. Or just also wondering, hey, where, where is the space also for honoring this as a, a real process to go through and, right. and that it being valuable. Um, for me, my depression was sort of like an initiatory process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So hard to describe, but I, I sort of liken it to those big challenges that get thrown at us in various different ways, right? It doesn't have to necessarily be depression. You know, it can be all sorts of things from a physical injury to a Mm -hmm. difficult relationship to an existential crisis at work or something like that. Right. Um, But these are those experiences that really like bring us to our core and invite us to ask those deeper questions. To learn. It sounds like you really appreciate the learning that you got from it and that you got to apply when you needed it again. Yeah, indeed. What what did you learn about resilience from those experiences? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, um, well, I will say I definitely learned how to be really vulnerable in a way that I had never uh, dared to before. But I noticed that when I finally did, when I finally opened up or I was completely honest about being, for example, really, really sad, but also not knowing exactly why I was upset. um, What I noticed was a lot of people were there to catch me and a lot more than I had ever imagined. You know, my family was a huge support, but also I made some relationships with a few women that I was in high school with at the time that were emotionally some of the the deepest relationships I've had because of that mutual vulnerability, that mutual letting go of any sort of facade, right? I mean, in some ways, (laughs) the 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 gift of depression, at least from my experience, was that I didn't have like the willpower to put on a mask over what was going on for me. It was too Mm -hmm. exhausting. So people just saw me in that state. And what I started to realize was that they weren't so scared. They weren't so turned off. They weren't so disgusted as I had imagined they would be in such a vulnerable state. Um, and I think that that carries out through my life now, even, even before, you know, um, yeah, even in the daily sort of, uh, experiences of life and working with companies and individuals that, you know, these places that where we might be really scared to go or these transformations or change projects or, any of those things that it's like, oh, it's vulnerable. We're going to have to go into a space where we take off our masks or drop into a space. It's going to get messy. It's <laughs> going to get messy. Yeah, exactly. Be brave about it. Get curious. And exactly. Be vulnerable anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not as bad as you may might imagine, mm. I guess. Well, yeah. and I think what I what I'm hearing you say as well is not only is it not as bad as you might imagine, but there are hidden treasures right? There are hidden gifts in that messiness, things that if you went in with this perfect plan, you would never come across, right? You would never mine those diamonds out without the messiness. You know, you've got to get really messy in order to get to that really um, magical stuff that's created under immense pressure, 
Mm. and and under really difficult circumstances yeah um but you're not going to know it going in, right? You, you can't yeah. forecast or plan them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you need the, the most bravery and the most courage before you dive in, just because you think, <gasps> and then by the time you've done that, by the time you've done it a couple times, you think, ah, oh, okay, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the more that we can invite a, a deeper relationship with our own difficult emotions or darkness, um, the, the better we actually can go through some of these unknown or, you know, VUCA situations yeah. in the world. So, and I've seen now I've been really, I've been really fortunate actually to take my hypothesis, this sort of personal intuitive feeling of, Hey, yeah, my depression was really challenging and it was valuable. And I asked that I ended up, you know, later on in life now, what the, with the work that I'm doing, asking business leaders, um, entrepreneurs, coaches, people who sort of stereotypically, you might think they have everything together or they're, you know, they're quote unquote successful in the world. Mm -hmm. I have and to laugh because it's, it's such a stereotype, <laughs> but right. we're all yeah. human, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I, I specifically chose to, to interview these folks because I think there is that stereotype of like, I don't see any of the, the sadness or the difficulty because oftentimes in the world, we're highlighting sort of the, the victories, mm -hmm. but these amazing people are bold enough to share those moments where they hit rock bottom or where they didn't know where to go forward. Um, you know, yeah. everything from other mental health challenges to addiction, to discrimination in the workplace, et cetera. And I've yeah. been doing that on this podcast that I host, um, break down, wake up, which is all about the wisdom in our distress. So cool. Break down, wake up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this giving people this faith, and this communion, this sense of togetherness that mm -hmm. we're, you're not alone when you go through this experience. I hope that no one who goes through a challenging experience, whether it's, you know, something as, as significant as, uh, you know, a mental health challenge or a death or something like that, but also these smaller challenges, these daily experiences of frustration or confusion, especially in the pandemic, I think it's coming mm -hmm. up like on a minute by minute basis that we are in this together. Yeah. And by sharing our stories, we actually become stronger as a collective of people yeah. and more that's where I think sort of collective resilience really comes into play because I think that's another thing. Because There's a lot of those of connections because yeah. of the community aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. So this, it's, it's the courageous vulnerability and it's the connecting with others that yeah. are huge ingredients to, to that resilience for you as a person, for me as a person and for, for the whole, for the systems and the organizations that you're in. Yeah. 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 Great point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Really yeah. Valuable. Yeah. What what is something, Meg, that you wish people would start being able to practice in the workplace? What what helps people really bring this from like understanding and going, yeah, that makes sense. But like we like to see vulnerability from other people. It's hard to do it ourselves. Mm. So <laughs> crossing that bridge into, oh, I love your vulnerability. And that's so interesting and fascinating. And I'll be happy to be here for you. How can I help to 
cultivating our own personal vulnerability, particularly in the workplace? Mm, yeah, that's such a great, really great question, Lisa. I think it's it's challenging, you know. So I, I always encourage people to take small steps. So, um, for example, it it took me years to be able to sort of share my experience with my depression more Mm -hmm. publicly. Mm -hmm. But I think I began also with testing out, you know, smaller, you know, whether it's mistakes or things that I feel a little bit embarrassed about or, um, or even just challenges that I'm facing, like, Hey, I'm not sure which way to go here. You know, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, I think the other thing that is really I think very under um, undervalued is because it's so simple is, is really just listening. Um, I think a lot of times when we are across from somebody else's vulnerability, there is that part of us that really wants to help or give advice or <laughs> fix or yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. Because, it away. Yeah. <laughs> so Let me make it all better for you. Yeah, of course, because that's, you know, it's coming from a really good place, you know, but I think similar to go back to where we sort of started the conversation, a lot of times just having the space to be heard in all of the messiness and complexity and confusion and to say like, I hear you and I may not know exactly what you're going through, but I am here. Mm. Um, I think that's so powerful. And I think that's again, why when, when I work with organizations, when I work with groups, it's always at a group level and on an individual level, because yeah. when people can start to also relate to themselves in that way, where when challenging emotions come up, they don't think I have to fix this. I have to <laughs> figure out what the solution is that they can just say, ah, oh, okay, what does this emotion have to say? Yeah. Getting and a how, bit curious how can I acknowledge? Yeah. I love yeah. your curiosity here. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that again, it's amazing time and time again, I I've noticed with clients that when they shift the way they relate to themselves, they shift the way they relate to each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can only have as much empathy and care and compassion for others as you have for yourself. Very well said. Yeah, I completely agree. It it sounds really counterintuitive and yet it's just such an essential human truth. Yeah. 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 And I think Um, if I can just share one more, I think there's a really cool example of this. Um, so one thing you might want to do, uh, for the listeners, if they're in their daily lives and they're sort of observing what's going on, Mm -hmm. they might have this experience of someone or something that really irritates them. Those things usually stand out for us and we can think of them very quickly. Mm -hmm. So I would challenge you listeners, maybe in the next week or so, that when you have that irritation moment to ask yourself, so usually that irritation is some sort of mirror. If it's irritating in someone else, there's a part of you that is not being seen. So for example, if if I'm irritated at someone who's... um, being really vulnerable, for example, or, mm-hmm. um, or someone who's very confident, it, it, it comes in all shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. I can ask myself, okay, what is it in me that I need to have a better connection with? So mm-hmm. if the vulnerability in someone else is triggering me and I feel uncomfortable, I might want to say, okay, how can I start to connect more with my vulnerability? Yeah. 
or if anger, if I see someone who's angry and I think, oh my gosh, I am so lit up and uncomfortable, how can I better connect with my own anger? And mm-hmm. that can be as practical as taking a kickboxing class or, <laughs> you know, putting an extra pillow cushion on the couch. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so it can be very practical in a sense, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be very deeply psychological and things like that, but just inviting yourself to allow these maybe unheard or unexpressed parts to come further into your life. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. This was so rich. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by your insights and I'm, I'm really thankful for your, for your openness uh, about your story too. Absolutely. Thank Thank you you. so much, Meg. It's been a real pleasure hearing it. You know, I feel like it's just the first little golden nugget. There's so much more to to (laughs) investigate and be curious about. (laughs) Indeed. With you. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone who's interested to connect with Meg and uh, go look up, uh, go look, look up her podcast. I'll put the link in the, in the show notes so you can find it more easily. And uh, thanks Meg. Thank you guys. Thank you for creating this space. I really appreciate the conversation. Happy to have you here in this space and in the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And um, thank you everyone out there for listening. Um, You can listen to our podcast directly online. It's also easy to find the People Impact podcast on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're on all of those and many more. Uh, subscribe to make sure you're the first to learn about our newest episodes or find us and follow us on social media. We would love to hear your feedback and topic requests. You can give us a rating and review or let us know what's on your mind in the workplace. We'd love to hear. Drop us an email, let us know. And until next time, bye-bye.